This is KYUK, public radio for the Yukon-Kuskokwim Delta. I'm Sage Smiley. Paralytic shellfish poisoning, or PSP, is a centuries-old concern for subsistence shellfish harvesters in coastal Alaska. It occurs when an algae species called Alexandrium blooms in the ocean, releasing lethal neurotoxins that end up lodged in many species of clams, mussels, scallops, and other shellfish. In high concentrations, a single clam could kill a person. But shellfish aren't the only targets of these deadly toxins. Scientists are beginning to explore how paralytic shellfish toxins are showing up across Alaska's marine ecosystem, from plankton to whales. Bruce Wright is a senior scientist at the Knick tribe and leads PSP monitoring efforts across the state. One of the pathways is shellfish. They feed directly on the organism. But the other pathway is, is alexandrium to zooplankton to macrozooplankton and forage fish to predatory fish like salmon and cod, and then the top predators like whales. He says this research could potentially help explain recent population declines and die-offs in Alaska's marine ecosystem, like the Pacific cod crash in the Gulf of Alaska or the 2020 collapse of the Chignik salmon fishery. They had a big sockeye fishery and a pretty good-sized king salmon fishery, and it collapsed. So I went down there that same year and started collecting samples, and their PSP levels were high, and that was new for him. Wright says the data his team has collected is anecdotal so far, but he's continuing to test samples from animals all over the state. He says he suspects toxins will show up more in places as climate change warms ocean waters and pushes harmful algal blooms further north. Steve Kibler, a noble research biologist who studies harmful algal blooms all over the country, says there are still a lot of unanswered questions, like how paralytic shellfish toxins move through the food web and what biological impacts they have on different animals. You know, the way that they're getting there and each individual location where blooms occur it can be a pretty complex thing to put together, especially when you just have a few data points to go on. Kibler and Wright both have more data collection planned this summer to begin piecing together how paralytic shellfish toxins may be impacting the health of Alaska's ocean food web. Elsewhere in the region, two men from the village of Pilot Station have been cited with two separate wildlife violations by Alaska wildlife troopers. Troopers issued a citation to 22-year-old Richard Green for advertising guiding and transport services to hunters in the State Game Management Unit 18 without a guide or transporter license. Troopers say they used multiple search warrants to find that Green unlawfully advertised hunting services nine separate times throughout 2023. Troopers also issued a citation to 38-year-old Elliot Edwards for harassing a moose with a motor vehicle. According to a trooper report, Edwards posted a video on Facebook in late January of a calf moose being chased by a red Honda four-wheeler on the Yukon River. In the video, troopers say the calf moose tried to get to safety multiple times but could not climb the high riverbanks. The video shows the four-wheeler chasing the moose until it slipped on the ice. Troopers say an investigation determined Edwards was the person chasing the calf moose on the four-wheeler. Both men are scheduled for arraignment on March 7th in Bethel. In 
In other statewide news, Nellie Moore was a broadcast journalist who leaves a big footprint in Alaska and beyond. She died last week at the age of 69 due to complications from a long-term illness. Moore was one of the first Indigenous reporters in Alaska who could sew a traditional cussbook as well as stitch news and information into stories that made a difference. KNBA's Rhonda McBride was a former colleague and tells us how it all began in the Northwest Arctic community of Kotzebue. You can thank Ed Ward, Nellie Moore's dad. In a 2016 interview, she describes him as a man crazy about radio with a big stash of radio parts in their home. I would always find the tubes that somebody needed and put them in the tube tester and make sure they worked. (laughs) I thought she was a rare find in many ways. Alex Hills first met Nellie when her father brought her to the Kotzebue Airport to meet the man who would become the first manager of KOTZ. Under Hills' guidance, the station went on the air in 1973. Nellie was barely out of high school when Hills hired her to be the station's first news director. Effervescent young daughter Nellie, Nellie Ward. (laughs) But then she was just a young 19-year-old. Kind of spunky, actually. (laughs) (laughs) That was Hills on the same radio show as Nellie, in which she talked about coming of age in a time when many Alaska communities depended on radio, especially those that even today are not connected to a road system. Back then, people felt lucky if they had only one phone in the village. Hills and Nellie worked together to start OTZ, Kotzebue's first phone company. Nellie was excited when an engineer who had just connected a new community to OTZ asked for her help. We just hooked up during, do you want to make the first call? I was like, sure. So I called this lady in during, she's my aunt. I was like, hi. She said, where are you? I said, I met moms, and she's like, how are you calling me? (laughs) (laughs) All the while, Nellie continued to grow as a journalist. Alex Hill says one of his favorite photos was when she interviewed the late Governor Jay Hammond at the airport dressed in a pair of denim overalls with a blue bandana on her head. Nellie had her tape recorder and a microphone, and they say a picture is worth a thousand words. In this case... Nellie was leaning forward, and the governor of Alaska was leaning back. (laughs) That told me a lot about her interview style. It is said the pen is mightier than the sword, but Nellie was armed with perhaps a more potent weapon, humor, which she often used to soften up those she interviewed. She just knew how to make people feel comfortable. It was like a conversation over coffee. Paul Unktaguk met Nellie at the Northwest Arctic Television Center in Kotzebue, where they worked together to produce videos about Inupiaq history and culture, and where Nellie showed a flair for the Inupiaq art of traditional teasing. We had a, a director who everybody was sort of intimidated by, but not her. Nellie was tease him just as much as anybody, and I think he actually enjoyed it. As Nellie's daughter, Liz Cravalho, explains, teasing has a special role in Inupiaq culture. Gentle correction, that's what I think of it as. Liz says throughout her career, her mother stayed true to her roots. She was a village girl, and she wasn't going to be shy about talking to someone about important issues. Nellie's Inupiaq name was Iriktuk, which means something hidden.
When I was little, I used to say, what's hiding, Mom? And she would just laugh. As a reporter, Nellie kept a lot to herself, mainly her own opinions. But her stories had details gleaned from her astute powers of observation, important in a Nupiak culture. Paul Antecook calls this Nellie's legacy to her people. Nellie demonstrated that journalism could be the voice of Alaska Native communities in which Alaska Native communities could have a mirror. You know, help us understand our own communities. Antaguk said non-natives tried to do that. But you always knew it was kind of an outsider's perspective. The very questions that they were asking. Another legacy? Moore went on to produce a groundbreaking series of videos about the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act, legislation that not only changed Alaska's indigenous peoples, but the whole state forever. Another huge body of work, her stories about Native language and culture, all while raising a family, who eventually followed her to Anchorage to work for KNBA, the first urban Native station in the country, where she was one of the early hosts of National Native News. Today's feature on National Native News, a self-esteem program for young Native men. I'm Nellie Moore. KNBA's president, Jacqueline Salee, says Nellie also produced popular features like Native Word of the Day and Stories of Our People, which continue to air today. Nellie was also active in the community and worked with Irene Rowan to produce numerous panel discussions on the land claims fight brought inspiration whenever she came on the air. She was just amazing. Rowan, with help from Nellie, founded the Alaska Native Media Group, formed to recruit young Natives into the communications field. Nellie had already been a longtime mentor to many, including Sharon McConnell, a TV anchor she recruited to host a national talk show on Native health. To have that many natives working in communications at the same time in one room. It was just phenomenal. McConnell says Nellie was the newsroom's mother hen. She was kind of a leader in her own way. But after eight years at KNBA, Nellie left the station in a dispute and took the rest of the newsroom with her. I don't think it was an easy decision for Nellie to decide to leave. But Nellie moved on as an independent producer and with help from her husband, Greg, started her own Native news service. Nellie was just one of those powerhouses in Native journalism. And I don't think there'll ever be another person like that, really. For National Native News, I'm Nellie Moore. Signing off for the last time, a woman who helped to give birth to Native broadcasting in Alaska. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. This is KYUK News. I'm Sage Smiley. Kwayana Chaknak for listening. Please share your news tips, comments, or suggestions. You can email us at news at kyuk.org or message us on Facebook. And stay tuned for Yuchtun Gangchit coming up.